0: And they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged, elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today... We're going to learn how we've been brainwashed into thinking that conflict in the corporate world is a bad thing. And the person that's going to illustrate that point and also deconstruct some of that wrong thinking that we might be encountering is joining us today. She's got 20 years of experience as a human capital management professional. She's dedicated to ensuring that organizational talent is optimized. She's worked in a number of different industries, including consulting, financial services, manufacturing, private equity and she specializes in talent management, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, organizational development, and leadership development. So you might be sitting there thinking that uh, she's just a pure theoretician. She isn't. She's a player and a coach, and she's adept at creating talent strategies and implementing them with collaboration across all levels of the organization. And here's the most important thing, she is a diehard UGA fan. So if you are a Roll Tide person listening to this conversation, you probably want to tune out. Tessa Carey, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Dr. Jim, and go Dog.
0: Before we dive into the conversation, I want to thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, I'm looking forward to a really fun conversation. Why don't you get the listeners up to speed on anything else that you feel is important that's going to inform the listeners about how you're approaching this conversation.
1: I think that one of the things that listeners probably need to know about me is that I really am a people person. It is an innate, God-given thing. And so I spend a lot of time around people and understanding what they have going on and what they're dealing with. And a lot of that has informed how I feel um, about conflict. The fact that people are super important to me, that I have an innate love for people, even when they don't love me back, (laughs) which does happen sometimes, especially around the UGA stuff. And that informs how I manage and how I help teams manage conflict.
0: Why don't you share with us a little bit about how you developed that affinity for people, the ability to give grace, even when there's conflict in in place. What are the roots of that? I think a lot of the
1: roots of it are just my upbringing. And I really do believe that I got it honestly because my dad is exactly the same way. He is probably one of the most friendly people you've ever met in your life. He doesn't meet a stranger. He can talk to just about anyone and he can make anyone comfortable. And he's able to raise concerns with people Without it being a bad experience over the years, just in the way that he managed me and some of the things I had going on. And even as I got older and got into the workplace, I would share some of the things that were happening. And he just had really great advice about how to manage that stuff and how to disagree with somebody. And I know people say this all the time, but how to disagree with somebody without being disagreeable.
0: Really appreciate that context. Let's dive into the main part of the conversation. For those who are new to the show, the goal of these conversations is to bring on senior leaders in HR, senior leaders in people leadership, and have them share with us the game-changing realizations that they had that really helped them supercharge their ability to build high-performing teams. Share with us a little bit about what the game-changing realization that you had that really helped you build high-performing teams.
1: The game-changing realization that I had, and I had it probably as a child, again, just because of my upbringing, is that conflict is not a bad thing. And people who manage conflict in a way where you can get to the best idea, you treat it as an opportunity to learn, and you actually welcome it. Because you want to get to the best result, those are the people that make the best teammates. And those are the people that have the best relationships. You can even liken work relationships to external relationships. Those family units, right, who can manage conflict and do it in a productive way and who don't feel like conflict is bad, it's just something that happens, those families have great relationships. Those romantic relationships stay together for long periods of time. But in those relationships, either romantic or plutonic, that do not manage conflict and manage in an effective way, those relationships don't last. And it's the same with a team. You cannot be high performing if you can't manage conflict because there's eight people on a team. They all come from different backgrounds. They all have different experiences. There are going to be times when those folks disagree and they should be able to have those conversations and still be
0: a great team. Those are all really solid observations. The whole point about effective teams need to be able to manage conflict. It takes a lot of work to get to the point where you're successfully doing that. What are the foundational things that need to be done to set yourself up either as a leader or as an individual To be able to navigate conflict effectively.
1: There's two very important things. The first is mindset. You have to understand where people's mindset is around conflict, because if they've only had an experience where conflict has always been negative and it never led to the best idea and it never um, produced anything good, it's going to be hard for you to get people to go there. So if their mindset is not in the right place, it's going to be very difficult. And so you have to do some work around that. And a lot of it is understanding that their mindset is in that place and then working them through examples of where conflicts can be a good thing. Maybe ask them some questions about the conflicts they had and point out some of the good things that happened in those conflicts, either at work or in a relationship. And so mindset is really where you have to start. The second thing that's really important is the whole trust factor. You can't manage conflict effectively if you don't really trust the other person or the folks on your team. And so you really have to understand whether there is trust there or not. And some of the ways that you can quickly figure out if a team trusts each other or not is if you see them doing things like double checking each other's work or seeing everybody and their mom on an email keeping their receipts, right? Or you notice that they're withholding information from each other, or you can tell that they're not being honest about what they really think. Those are the kinds of things that let you know that there is no trust there and you have to start to work on that trust and those things first. Otherwise, conflict will happen, but it will not be managed in a productive manner.
0: When you're dealing with those sort of environments where you are trying to work on mindsets, trying to build trust, what are the things that leaders need to be doing on a regular basis to create that environment where people are oriented the right way from a mindset perspective and trust perspective?
1: One of the things I've seen work really well is for the leader to invite people to challenge, to say, hey, this is a st- especially to invite them to challenge them as the leader. Most of the time, a team is going to emulate what their leader does. And if a team sees that the leader is open to being challenged, that the leader is open to someone disagreeing with them, and there's no consequences, and that interaction goes well, and they also get to a great outcome, I think that's one of the fundamental things that leaders can do. They can invite to challenge themselves and they can invite the team to challenge each other and just say, we are going to be respectful when we do this. But it's okay if you disagree. Tell us why you disagree. And then let's have a conversation about it. It doesn't have to be a fight. People's faces don't have to be red. (laughs) Nobody has to get upset. I think that's one of the fundamental things that I have seen work very well to help people build that
0: trust that it's okay if you disagree. That makes a lot of sense. The devil's always in the details. When a leader is creating that environment where they're open to being challenged, there's also this component where in the back of their mind, they have to be able to establish what the line is. How do you set up the ground rules for that sort of behavior without it going too far over into the other direction where that becomes openly toxic?
1: It's important for teams to really set up those kinds of boundaries in the beginning right? If you're in a workplace, there's a certain professional decorum that you need to have. We're not going to cuss each other out. We're not going to yell. We're not going to scream. The fundamental kind of ways that research will tell you to set up a team is at the beginning, you set up what your team norms are going to be. Every team that I've ever led, whether the team was already formulated or I built the team, We always set up standards of how we're going to communicate with each other and how we are going to interact with each other and how we're going to manage conflict so that we know ahead of time when it arises what we need to do. A lot of that stuff has to be set up ahead of time and a lot of leaders will skip that. They'll just go right into leading the team and we have work to do versus really coming back and forming the team and making sure that there's some standards um, that the team is going to work under. And one of those is how you communicate. So we are not going to be toxic with each other. When you communicate with me, even if you have an issue with something that I've said or done, you can do that respectfully. And I promise, whether you do it respectfully or not, that I will always be respectful to you. Even if one of my team members gets out of pocket, I'm always going to be respectful because I want to show my team what that looks like. And then I will talk to the team member you know, later at another time and say, hey, I feel like you crossed the line a little bit and this is why. And let's talk about what we can do differently the next
0: time. Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. I really like how you framed communication expectations starting from a clarity perspective. And what's interesting is that in today's world, everybody is running lean and everybody's super busy and focused on what are the things that you have to get done? These are the kinds of conversations that almost need to happen every single day and all the time so that people don't forget in the midst of all the things that need to get done what the rules of engagement are. That was a really good thing that I pulled out from what you just mentioned. Let's look at the flip side of the equation. If you're in an environment where things are just ignored or we don't constructively address conflict or constructively confront, what's the outcomes that you can expect in that sort of environment?
1: If you're talking about a team that's in that sort of environment, You can expect not to get the results that you need to get. Um, You can expect things to take longer. You can expect the team not to be able to move as agile as it needs to because people are tiptoeing around, especially if there's someone on the team or multiple people on the team who have that toxic behavior, they're not communicating um, in the right way and you're not confronting it. All it's going to do is make people maneuver around that or not talk to the person or if they disagree with the person, just say, forget it. I don't want to deal with their attitude today. I don't want to deal with their stuff today. And so we'll just do it the way they want to do it because I'm just going to go to work today and then go home to my family. So when you don't manage these kinds of things, um, just like in a family, when you don't manage these kinds of things, it bubbles up um, and you're going to see the results in a lot of different ways. But with a team, you'll definitely see productivity go into
0: the dirt. So You just hinted at one of the warning signs uh, of a potential negative situation existing and that's productivity goes down. If you're a leader, you you generally have your team reporting underneath you and you might have a couple of layers of people that are in between you and the individual contributors. What are the things that leaders need to be constantly looking for that are warning signs that might indicate a communication problem, a, a failure to confront, a failure to manage conflict? What are the things that leaders should be watching out for that are leading indicators of this sort of dynamic happening within their environment?
1: One of the easiest ones is you get CC'd on everything. There is an issue. Somebody or multiple people are protecting themselves. There's something going on there. If you need to be CC'd, that's different. But... I've been on a team before where they CC'd me on everything. And I was like, guys, okay, let's. what's going on? Why are you CCing me on this? Do I really need to know this? And when I dug into it, it was because there was an issue. There was some conflict happening in the background and it wasn't being managed, um, partly because I didn't know, but they weren't able to manage it. And so it started to come out in that kind of way. Another thing that you can be looking for is changes in the way your team responds to things. If there is some sort of conflict going on and th- if a team member doesn't respond the way they would normally respond to something, that's probably an indicator that something is going on. And it could it could be something else. It could be something that's happening at home, but it's always good to ask the question because it could be some sort of conflict or something that's happening um, at work. When you see those subtle, hey, that, that was a little sharp, the way that they responded to that A lot of leaders will overlook those kinds of things, but being a people leader is, it's like a constant sort of looking around for signs about what's going on with your team. And so as those things change, you need to pay attention to them.
0: I really like what you said there about, it's one of the responsibilities of a leader is to be constantly looking around and having your eyes open. And that can't be accomplished if you're hiding behind your spreadsheets or your dashboards all the time. You really have to take the time in engaging on a regular basis with everybody on the team, that's where a lot of busy leaders or busy organizations go sideways is that you try to manage by numbers instead of leading and developing your people but yeah. with that personal interaction. So that's a really great conversation so far. And I want to tie this back to what we opened the show with, is that the broader world of work has been more or less brainwashed into thinking that conflict in the corporate world is a bad thing. We've had a really strong discussion about why that's sometimes misguided. When we look at advising other people, leaders who are listening to this show, what are the key things that people need to be doing to build that kind of culture and build that kind of habit?
1: I would say one of the first things that needs to happen is you really need to understand your team. You need to know who your team is. You need to have one-on-ones with your team and you need to do it regularly. I spend the majority of my time on my team and I have one-on-ones with each of them once a week. And a lot of people think that's really excessive. What has happened is that I I know my team really well and I can spot when something is not right. And so I think it's really important that you spend as much time as you can getting to know your team um, as you have those one on ones. You're going to talk about work and you're going to talk about projects, but it's important to know who your team is and to observe um, how they're interacting with others and in in, in other meetings. The second thing I would say, and we talked about it a little bit, is that you have to invite people to challenge and you have to show them that when they do, it's not a bad thing. Um, You can't get upset. Even if you disagree with them, you can't get upset when somebody challenges or somebody asks a question or they disagree. Uh, The people on your team have experiences, right? They've worked other places. They've done other things. You hope that they're very smart right? Because you hired them. And so you need to trust that they've got a point of view. And as a leader, it's important that you hear what that is. So again, everybody can get to the best outcome. The the third thing I would say is that you really, you just have to pay attention. And I know that's really hard um, because a lot of times my days are back to back and it's hard to pay attention. And right now our offices are under construction. So we are not in the office. We're virtual we will go back three days a week, but managing this kind of stuff in a hybrid environment is hard too. So when you're just not with your team all the time, you have to pay attention to how they're communicating and, and how they're showing up on camera. If they're on camera, those things are important and they, they may seem like nothing, um, but they'll help you sniff out issues. If you just observe and pay attention. And the last thing I would say is just don't, practice the Abilene paradox. I know a lot of people have heard of that. And really, the Abilene paradox is that tendency um, of people to just go along with what they think the group wants to do, even if they themselves don't want to do it. Um, And they end up taking a lot of trips to Abilene that they didn't want to take. And they may find that others really didn't want to take the trip either. But because they didn't say anything, they all went to Abilene for no good reason. And while taking a trip to Abilene with your friends it's probably pretty low risk. This behavior in a business, it can be detrimental and dangerous because all healthy workplaces depend on individual skills. They depend on insights and opinions of a lot of people. And so when those voices are silenced, it's difficult to get to, to the best outcome. So don't practice it. It's not a best practice.
0: So I hadn't heard about the Abilene paradox, but it sounds like taking a bridge to nowhere. If people want to con- continue the conversation and pick your brain on any number of, of best practices from a people leadership perspective, where can they get a hold of you?
1: They can get a hold of me on LinkedIn. Just search for Tessa Carey. I don't think there's many of us. You can search Tessa Carey graphic packaging and you should be able to get me.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us, Tessa. And as usual, you laid out a lot of great insights into this conversation. I think when I reflect back on the discussion that we had, if I'm building a model for what best practices look like coming out of this conversation, I've boiled it down into sort of four steps. One is set the ground rules early. Two, as a leader, you need to invite challenges on a regular basis. Three, as a leader, you need to commit to the best idea winning in order for this to work effectively. And then four, you need to model what good looks like at all times. So I think those are broadly applicable lessons for any leader that's looking to build a high performing team. And I appreciate you hanging out with us and spelling that out for me and the listeners. For those of you who have listened to this episode, appreciate you hanging out. Leave us a review, tell us how we're doing, and then tune in next time for another great conversation where we will spotlight a senior leader sharing with us the game-changing realizations that they uncovered, which helped them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co/hrimpact.